Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, welcome to Bergen Park Church. My name is Jason. I'm one of the elders. I serve as a pastor of a preaching and kind of casting vision for our church, and we're glad to have you here this morning. You know, every morning I kind of sit back in the back and I kind of take Sunday in. And one of the things that was overwhelming me this morning is just how much we try to fit in. You ever notice that? It's kind of like an hour on Sunday morning and go from elation of joy and excitement and into the word and there's new people walking in and I'm looking at some of you and you're looking at me and I'm like, wonder what they're thinking and as they come into a church, I mean, it's always awkward, right? You walk into a new place, a new building, who are these people, do I fit here? Is this message gonna make sense to me? There's all these expectations, and yet none of that that really matters. What matters is our hearts and mind focused on the Lord. What matters is is humbling ourselves and saying, Father, would you speak to me? Would you guide me? Would you direct me? Because see, as a church, it's not about the elation of music, though that's great. It's not about having the best communicator up front. That's not a church. You know what a church is? A community of people who are following Jesus that truly want to be with him. And you know, in being with Jesus, I don't know if you know this, he messes with you. <laughs> He's always messing with me. He's like, listen, Jason, you don't, okay, listen, I know you figured some things out, but there's a lot you don't know. And this whole marriage thing and this whole kids thing and money thing and life thing and pleasure thing, you need to surrender to me and you need to submit to me and you need to admit that you need me. And if you don't do that, see, life's gonna be vexation and hardness. But if you'll just trust me and allow me to lead you, I'll change you. I'll change your emotions and desires. I'll I'll allow you to become more like me, more in the image of Christ. But you've got to surrender. You've got to be with me, then allow me to change you. And then finally, when I leave this place, it's not just, hey, that was great. Sunday was good. It's about loving the person at King Supers that I see. It's about caring for those that are at my school, that are in my business. That's whatever's going on in the world. It's being the hands and the feet of Jesus, actually living as Jesus did and presenting a gospel that is good news to a fallen world. We're gonna fit that all in in one hour on Sunday morning, that's all. (laughs) And I gotta summarize that all up. See, sometimes it's overwhelming. And see, that's why we're in the book of Ecclesiastes because he's saying sometimes life is just overwhelming. But what he's trying to tell us is that life is not about what we gain. It's not about what you collect. It's not about the money. It's not about the approval. It's not about all the stuff. It's not about getting a name. It's not about being on stage and finally writing a book and getting a PhD and all that stuff. Life is a gift. And if you think you're controlling life, you're under an illusion and you're gonna find that life is hevel. It's vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. It's spitting into the wind. You're not going to accomplish anything. But if you realize there is a God who is over all things and that you're not in control, but life is a gift from him, you'll find enjoyment and meaning even in the frustrations and the disappointments of life. The book of Ecclesiastes is challenging. You know, when I came back from vacation, I kind of thought, why are you going to this book? And every single week, I've gone, why are you in this book? It's too much, it's too heavy, but I do think God has something to teach us. That life is not about what we gain, life is a gift from our creator. And we have to learn to drop the illusion of control and trust the one 
who is in control of all things. So if you have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. There are Bibles available. You can turn it on, however that works for you. And let's get into Ecclesiastes. Now, we're gonna look at chapter two, but I've gotta tell you, we're gonna pretty much summarize this conclusion that he goes to. So we're gonna look at all of chapter two, but I'm just gonna read verses 18 to 26, which is this conclusion to a pursuit that the author of Ecclesiastes, which may be King Solomon, or it may be written through the eyes of this powerful king who had everything at his disposal. I mean, he had pleasure, sex, money, power, authority, and listen, the time to do what he wanted. He had all the things that we think will make us happy if we had them. And at what he's doing as he's going through these pleasures in life, he's kind of recording his thoughts and saying, hey, what actually brought meaning, purpose, and significance? Did it really satisfy as I looked at my life? And as I looked at my life, ready for this? From the vantage point of death. Not like I looked at my life in the moment where pleasure and satisfaction were overtaking me and I was overwhelmed and I was drunk and I was kind of hopped up. No, he's saying after all of that was over and I looked through the lens of death, was there anything ultimately valuable in my life? And so that's where he's gonna go. So let's jump in, Ecclesiastes chapter two, pick it up in verse 18. As we hear the words of the preacher, the word of the Lord. He concludes, I hated all my toil and which I toiled under the sun, seeing, and here's why he hated it, I've got to leave everything to the man who's going to come after me. And listen, who knows whether that man is going to be a wise person or a fool, and yet he is going to be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is Hevel. It's vanity. And so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil and the labors at which I pursued under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and he's toiled with knowledge and he's toiled with skill, he's gonna leave everything he has gained to be enjoyed by someone who didn't work for it. This is Hevel. Oh, something's going on. That's all right. We got grace for you and we love you. But I got ADD, so I apologize. (laughs) This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man, and I think he's saying, what has a man to gain from all his toil and striving of heart, which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. It's painful. Even in the night, right, his heart, he can't sleep. He's he's thinking about it. This also is Hevel. It's a vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is now from the hand of God. For apart from God, apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom And he's given knowledge and he's given joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting. Only only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is Hevel, it's vanity, it is a chasing after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you, in this time as we walk into this space with expectations, Spirit, would you speak? Would you guide us? Would you direct us? Would you allow us to set aside the thoughts even of this week, even of the heaviness of life, the brokenness as we see Afghanistan, as we see 
Haiti, as we see brokenness in our community, as we wonder where the justice is, where the goodness of God is, Father, there's so much that we carry, and yet what matters first is if we're listening to you. Because we can't fix it, we can't straighten that which is crooked, but Father, we can in this moment just submit to you. So Holy Spirit, would you come? And Father, would we hear your voice in the way that we need to hear it, in the place we need to hear it, so that we can walk away being with you, and Father, knowing and loving you. Guide us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So all of chapter two is this thought experiment. If I had all the authority, the power, the wealth, the time and life, what would I find that is ultimately meaningful? If you could pursue life as you wanted to pursue it, do you think if you had all the authority, the time, the money, you'd find joy? That if you can control the outcome, right? If you can control your spouse, control my kids, and control my workers, and control my job, control my money, control the markets, finally I would have joy. I think there's this illusion in our heart that if I could just get these things settled, then finally I could sit down and enjoy my coffee in the morning, and I could enjoy the sunrise, I could get on my bike, I could run in the mountains, I'd finally enjoy life. Because see, right now all of you are thinking, here's this little thing I gotta control, if I can just control it, I get my hands around it, and I can fix it, and I could get rid of that problem, that illness, that sickness, that person, then life is going to have meaning, right? Is that what you're thinking? I think, that's what I'm thinking. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, you're fooling yourself. And what he's doing is he's taking us through the lens of King Solomon, and Solomon's saying, listen, I did it, I had it, I experienced it, and at the end of it, looking through the lens of death, I didn't find anything of satisfaction. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't have a good time, that doesn't mean he didn't enjoy things in life. That doesn't mean that he didn't enjoy his spouse or he enjoyed, didn't enjoy work or he didn't enjoy laughter or he didn't enjoy wine. He did. But when it came to what actually he gained, what he profited from life, he looked back and he said, it was all vanity. It was a chasing after the wind. I had to hand it over to someone who was gonna come after me and my, my son, he was a fool. And he was gonna destroy all the work that I toiled into. It's, it's a great vexation. And so in chapter Two verses one through kind of 17, he's describing this path. Now, I'm gonna just summarize it. So if you wanna look there in the, in the Bible, here's kind of the path that he takes. He starts with laughter and wine. Now, why does he add wine? Because it increases laughter, doesn't it? And so he gave himself to comedy. He gave himself to, to a foolish lifestyle. And so in verses one and two, he's kind of giving himself that. And then from that, he begins to give himself over to building and accomplishments. He says, I built pools, I built houses, I built parks, anything my heart desired. I mean, I was sim sitting it. Do you remember that back in the day? Thank you, I got one laughter. That helps me up here not to feel like a vexation. But anyways, I, I put it together. I mean, everything was flowing. Everything was, was growing and maturing. And from that, I went in from development and building into wealth. And see, wealth management back then was not stock market and liquid assets. It was servants, it was cattle, it was herds. And so that's what he did. He invested into cattle and herds. He had wealth. I mean, his, his hills were covered in riches. And then from there, he said, okay, that's not enough. I'm gonna give myself to music. I mean, music rocks the soul. It moves the emotions. Music can do something that work, that pleasure can. And then from there, he's like, okay, that wasn't enough. I'm gonna give myself over to sex, concubines, pleasure, delights, in this case, he says, of the heart 
of man. And, and in all these things, all these pursuits, and there's about maybe eight, some people say six, seven, I'm not sure. All of them, I want you to understand, the things he pursued, they're good. God created all of these things as good. Wine is good. Work is good. Laughter, created by a good God. Sex, created by a good God. Building something, achieving, all of these things are good in and of themselves. But see, when you take something that's good and you start to love it, to get something from it that only God can give, good turns to bad. And it turns to hevel and vexation because it cannot give you what you're looking to get. And so even though God had created all these things good, Solomon, the Solomon figure, is giving his heart to it and it's not giving him in the end what he thinks he can get from it. So then from there, he goes to honor. Verse nine, if you look at verse nine, it's like, hey, listen, I was the greatest. And it's like Muhammad Ali moment. I'm the greatest of all, everybody in Jerusalem, I mean, they tried to be like me. They didn't get there. I had a claim. I had success. I had a name. And then in verse 10, I gave myself over to work. And in all my work, I enjoyed some moments in life, but in the end, it was 12. I like how Eugene Peterson, have you read the message? The message, kind of a paraphrase, but I love how he captured verse 10. And this is kind of a summary of this pursuit. Eugene Peterson and, and captured it this way in verse nine. He says, oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessors in Jerusalem. I left them far behind me. I left them in the dust. What's more, I kept my head clear through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse. I held nothing back. I love this. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task. My reward to myself for a hard day's work. Verse 11, and then I, I took a good look at everything I'd done. I looked at all the sweat and all the hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. I saw smoke and a spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. And see, that word smoke in the ESV is the word that's translated vanity. It's this Hebrew word that I've repeated. You're probably wondering, why is he saying this hevel? Because that's the word that Solomon is using, this, this idea of a metaphor for life, that life is elusive, life is fleeting. Life is a paradox. You try to get your arms around it, and it, it kind of slips through your fingers. And Solomon's looking at his life, and he's saying, in the end, what did I gain? And then the final place he turns in verses 12 and 16 is wisdom. I gave myself over to wisdom. I sought the best way to live life. And he's gonna say wisdom was good, but wisdom in the end wasn't enough. And so verse 17, here's his summary. And it's quite depressing. I hated life. It's depressing, but it's, I can identify with it. I mean, can't you? Don't you need something in scripture from the heart of God to remind you, okay, I understand how you feel. I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is hevel, here's this word, it's that life is this metaphor of smoke, of vapor, it's, it's elusive, it's fleeting, it's hard to get my arms around, it's a striving after the wind. That's his conclusion. But then see what we read in verse 24, there's this radical shift. And it seems... It seems kind of like this, this author, this preacher, has these two people living inside of him. One is depressed and overwhelmed by life. The other one's like, life is a gift. So watch this, verse 24, things shift, and he says, 
a person, verse 24, can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, without God, who can eat or find enjoyment? So listen, which one is it? That's what's difficult about this book, is which one is it? Is life hevel, a vanity, a chasing after the wind, or is life a gift from God? And you're gonna see this throughout Ecclesiastes, about five different places where he summarizes this. Actually, let's jump into it real quick, and just in chapter three, we'll see this. He starts off in chapter three, verse nine. What gain has the worker in his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of men to be busy with, and God's made everything beautiful in his time. And you may remember at the beginning of chapter three, to everything, right, turn, turn, there is a season, turn, 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 and a time for everything. Anyway, the birds. That there is a time for everything. Now, God's not saying everything is good, but that God uses everything in its time. Because there's a time to love and a time to hate. That doesn't mean that God thinks hate is good. He's just saying there's a time which God uses hate and God uses war. And he's saying in verse 11, and God has made everything beautiful in its time, but here's the challenge. He's also put eternity in your heart. Verse 11, so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So we know we are made from more than dust. And he's saying as we look out in life, we can't figure out what God's up to. I mean, what's Haiti about? Afghanistan, the suffering in the world, the sickness in the world, the wicked getting what the righteous deserve, the righteous suffering and and being cast off into vanity, into aloneness. And he's looking at life. He's like, okay, I can't get my, I've got eternity in my heart, meaning I know that life is about more than what I can obtain, but I can't figure out what God's up to. And that's a great vexation. And maybe you've been there in, in the middle of the night, you can't sleep and you're thinking, well, God, what are you up to? And that's where he is. And then in verse 12, I perceive that there's nothing better for man than to be joyful. Where'd this come from? And to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat, verse 13, and drink and take pleasure in his toil. Because see, this is a gift from God to man. Is life hevel? Is life fixation or is life a gift? And you'll see this over and over in chapter five, verse 15, in chapter eight, verses 14 and 15, in chapter nine, in chapter 11, and then at the end in chapter 12. Hevel smoke, hevel smoke, and yet life is a gift from God. And so what is he trying to tell us? Because as you read this book, it can be incredibly frustrating to understand what is he trying to say. And I think in part, as I reflected on it this week, I think he's in some ways describing life as we pursue it. That sometimes we fall into one of two camps. Either we pursue life and then life doesn't go the way we expect it. And what happens is this thing called despair. And for us who follow God, we get angry at God. Hey, God, you're not meeting my expectations. Because see, I know how life should go. And God, you're messing up my life. And because vexation and hevel has come into my life, I'm now angry at God because it's not working out. And so we fall into this place of despair. And I think all of us would admit at times we do that. Or we have this naive optimism. Hey, life's just a gift. Nothing bothers me. And we kind of Christianize this in a way. We Pollyanna few. That's going way back. I know. It's like, what? Who's Pollyanna? Don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. If you don't get that. And we'll say things like, you know, and it's true, God works out everything together for good, but sometimes that's a refusal to admit that life is bad. For some Christians, it's a Christian escapism, right? Life really sucks. This is hard, this is 
but God works out everything for good, because see, to be a good Christian, I can't admit that everything's bad. Ecclesiastes say, no, you need to admit everything is bad. And so we kind of have this bipolar, maybe, way of pursuing life, that either life is despair or everything is good. And I think the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, you're not gonna experience life as a gift from God unless you bring the frustrations and the joys together. Until you bring the frustrations and the joys, until you realize, Jason, you're not in control, what you did at 25, you can't do at 46, and the outcome that you want out of life, even if you get it, it may not result in joy. Now, let me explain what that looks like. Yesterday, Nate and I went up to Chicago Lakes. You guys have been up there, beautiful, beautiful hike. Uh, gorgeous day, Saturday was amazing. The only problem is everybody knew it was amazing. You know, when you get to the parking lot and you go by Chief Mountain, there's like a thousand people. I'm like, oh no, we're not gonna find a place to park. But we got a place to park and we went in there and we were hiking, a beautiful day, went around Idaho Springs Reservoir and someone said there was a moose, didn't see the moose, that was Hevel. I really wanted to see that moose. And then we started heading back and see when we started heading back, um, I was feeling good, feeling really good. It's like, I'm gonna run up the last you know, 800 feet. If you guys gone up that, it's kind of this kind of switchback. It's about 800 feet, maybe a mile and a half. I was feeling good until Nate, hey, I'm taking off. And I did. Now, the problem with trying to run up that incline is not just the incline, it's the people. And on a Saturday, they're called tourists. <laughs> and how do tourists hike? Same way you did the first time you hit that trail. Everything is like amazing. It's like selfie at every corner. Look at this and then turn and look at that and every corner. So I'm trying to run up and I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm doing well. And then I get to this spot and there's about 10 people in front of me and they are going as slow. Because if you've been on that trail, there is a couple of spots. It's, it's, it's narrow. And the drop off is about 100, 200, 300 feet off to the side. And if you make a mistake, so there's some people and they were moving slow. And I was kind of trucking up and I noticed, and I remembered, you know what? I know there's this rocky area in this path, there's 10 people, but there's also this little bypass. And it's not the safest bypass, but I saw it, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I'd never taken it before, but I saw it there. And I said, if I got enough momentum, I can get up that puppy. <laughs> and if I can get up it, I can get down it, right? And I didn't think, I just did like I was 25. I was, you know, when you're 25, you're a gazelle compared to 46. And so I got up and I was, I got up fine. And I was like, this is great until I got to the top. And I looked down and I said, it's just rocks, right? And my momentum was in control. And my mind and my feet were not communicating with each other. And right at that moment, I realized you're not in control. This could go really, really bad with these 10 people all watching, right? As I foolishly run by them. Now, thankfully, I made it. As you can tell, you're like, he looks fine. And I made it. It was, it was okay. Somehow, somehow, my feet found the right spots, and I made it down. But here's what happened. And then I started, I kept running, because I couldn't let them know, right, that I was scared to death, and that was really stupid. That's a, I don't know if that's a male thing. It's like, yeah, I'm fine. Exactly what I, but inside, I was humbled. I'm like, you idiot. That was really, really stupid. Plus, I left my kid behind. He's, he's behind these 10 people. And I just keep running, and finally I get to one of those benches, I sit down, and I said, okay. Oh my goodness, heart stops, okay, I need to calm down, that was really, really dumb. Now, that was a moment of failure, it was an epic fail, you could say, except I didn't fall down the mountain, so that was a good thing. But see, that moment of failure, which could have really ended in disaster, actually enabled me to enjoy life. Now, why did it enable me to enjoy life? On the one hand, it told me I was stupid, I was foolish, and that was true. It also told me I'm not in control. 
and I can't control the outcome of life, and if I think joy is found in the outcome that I can produce, I'm gonna be sadly disappointed. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is trying to get us to. He's trying to tell us that if you think life, if you think you're in control of life and you think joy is found in that outcome, right? Work's gonna get me to the outcome and the outcome's gonna lead to joy. Well, you're fooling yourself. Or if you think I can just control my friends, my family, if I can just control my kids, have you ever tried that? Just get them to do what I want them to do, then I could enjoy them, right? Because once I've got them to do what I want them to do, then I could really enjoy my kids. But what's happening is you're trying to control your kids is you're not enjoying your kids. And then they're 18 and they're gone and you can't control them anymore. And you look back and you're like, that was vexation. What, what was the purpose of life? And what the writer of Ecclesiastes, I think, is trying to do is to tear down our illusions, And the reason it's so painful is he has to strip us away and he does that by looking at life through the vantage point of death. And he's saying you're not in control. And I know you have goals and there's nothing wrong with goals. You should pursue those goals. But those goals may not get you to the outcome and if the outcome's the only thing that matters and getting to a certain place and a certain destination, a certain family, a certain sexual experience, a certain whatever, you're gonna be disappointed in life because life is not about what you gain. Life is a gift from God. And so he's gonna say, you need to eat with joy and drink. You need to enjoy those moments in the journey because those moments of joy in the journey, they point to a greater journey and a greater enjoyment, which is to come. And so part of what he's teaching us is he's kind of tearing down our illusions about life and, and seeing life really on life's terms. That there's two ways that you can see life. Your joy could be based solely on the outcome, on getting things right, on getting, and here's part of the challenge. Some of you have gotten things right and you've gotten a little success. And often success and wealth and money thinks you're gonna be successful in everything. I don't know why that is. It just seems to be the case. And because you were able to control one outcome or two outcomes, and some of us have had that success, then you start to think I am in control and I can do these things and that can actually lead us to a greater fall. But if you think joy is found just in the outcome of what you control, you're gonna be, you're gonna be unsatisfied. And then the other way to see life is to admit, I'm not in control. Now, the failures of life, the vexations should remind you of that, but to say, I'm not in control, and God, the jo- enjoyment in life is not in what the outcome I produce, rather the enjoyment of life is something that you give me as I'm going through the journey. And I need to trust you because you are the judge and you're gonna set things right and you're gonna make straight that which is crooked and I can't do that. And so I need to relax and enjoy life as a gift from God. Now, let me explain how this has kind of been helpful. This is kind of a, a, I know it's a drink from a fire hose in some ways, but we're gonna go over this for the next few weeks. But see, on vacation, we, we just stepped away for a little while and, and I realized everybody was telling me I was doing this, but I'm the last one to figure it out. I was trying to control things. I don't know if you found that in COVID, you're like, okay, everything's falling apart, people are going crazy, I gotta gotta control things for you, I gotta gotta set up some lines and help you guys get in the right direction, and I kinda got in that mode, and and I think everybody did. I mean, from politics to life to math, everything is just like, okay, we gotta control everybody and get everybody to do what I want them to do, because if you guys would do what I want you to do, then there'd be joy and peace in America and God bless and all that, and it doesn't work, does it? And so when I was kind of on vacation, I realized, okay, I'm in this, this control mode. And one of the problems in my profession, and maybe you can relate to this, is every single week I get a reminder that I'm failing. It's called an advertisement. 
And it'll be some Christian publisher and it'll say, okay, if you listen to our DVD, <laughs> I've got the book. This pastor figured it out. You may have heard of him. He's grown 20 churches and he's got 20,000 people. And if you follow his simple five methods to success, pastor, you can also be a success and you're finally gonna be happy. And everybody in the church is gonna do what you want. And every, right, listen, let's be honest. And now advertisers, marketers, that's where you're trying to convince me. You're working on my base desires, which is what? Sin to control life. I'm trying to live a sinful life. I wanna be the center. And I believe it, because see, I'm somebody that wants to bring about goals. So I'm like, all right. But at the same time, I know that it, it doesn't work. Now, why doesn't it work? Who are you? We're, I mean, we're the church, right? The church is not an hour on Sunday morning. The church is not a program. Listen, the church is not an outcome. It's not me getting you to do what I want you to do, because I can't do that. I, right? I mean, amen, a little feedback. Oh, thank you, thank you. I can't get... And if I try to get you to do what I want you to do, and that's gonna bring joy, what am I, I'm not loving you, I'm using you. And if I'm using you, that's the heart of Hevel. You're using something, you're, you're using something you should love. What are we supposed to love? God and people. And see, when you're in control, what you're doing is you're loving stuff you should be using instead of Loving the, I, I got this, anyways, I keep getting this quote backwards. It's Augustine. And Augustine said that often in life we have disordered desires. Do you know about these things? And instead of loving the things we should love, like God and people, what we do is we use the stuff we should love, like God and people. And instead, what, instead of work being a means of glorifying God, we start using work and we start using all of these things in life to get what only God can give us. And that's where Augustine says, that's where life goes wrong. And see, and in my profession, that's often what they're telling us to do. Here's the outcome, here's the goal. If you get that, you'll find joy. And, and that also works in our marriages, in our relationships, my kids. If I can only get my husband to do that, you're right. If I can only, and what are we doing? We're trying to control the outcome. And the goal may be good. Listen, he's not saying the goal couldn't be bad, but if you're putting all your joy in controlling people and controlling outcomes, man, that, that you're gonna miss out on life. You're gonna be 50, 60, 70 looking back and saying, wow, I totally missed that. I totally missed that. And see, when he goes back in verse 24, that's what what's, he's, he's realizing, I'm not in control. And so jump back into verse 24, and he begins to summarize what he realized that as he looked at vexation, now the reason it was vexation is because he was trying to control the outcome and get joy out of something as the ultimate meaning in life. And in verse 24, there's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This I saw, and notice the language, is from the hand of God. So pause for a minute. You're gonna see, he's gonna say eat and drink, eat and drink. Why? Eating and drinking reminds you that you are dependent, doesn't it? <laughs> I may have built this empire, but I still have to eat. I still have to drink, and if I don't, then death is going to come. I am dependent. Eating and drinking is this idea of dependency, but it's also an idea of celebration, of enjoying the fruits of our labor. And throughout the Old and New Testament, you see that God encourages us to celebrate. But see, if you're trying to control life, one of the things you will not do is celebrate. Do you celebrate? 
You're trying to control your marriage, but do you celebrate your marriage? Trying to control your kids, do you celebrate your kids? People who control things, they don't celebrate things. Why? Because they can't enjoy them. They either deny that things are wrong or they cannot enjoy what they have in the moment. Does that, does that kind of hit you like it hits me? And so he's saying when you're eating and drinking, remember these moments are a gift from God and it's from the hand of God. Verse 25, for apart from God, who can eat and have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, and this is the key, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering, collecting only to give it to the one who pleases God. I've got some questions on what that means, but we can't really get into the whole thing. This is also Hevel. It's a striving after the wind. Now, what you'll notice in the book of Ecclesiastes is God's name is kind of missing. For the most part, until he gets to this conclusion, and then God shows up. And then also he says this word give. Life is not about what you gain. Life is a gift. And in life, enjoyment is a gift from God. But notice, it comes to the one who pleases him. Now, that can be tricky. Now, if I want to please my wife, typically the idea is is I do things for her sake. Because my wife can smell the opposite. (laughs) You know, when as a husband, I try to do things to get what I want. After 23 years, she's like, okay, okay. And sometimes she, you know, she plays along, right? Because she loves me. But that's not love. We see it in our kids. We see it in others. We don't see it in ourselves, do we? To truly love my wife, I have to love her for who she is. That means I have to love her perfections and imperfections. I'll have to love the God that's showing up in her and the devil that shows up in her. I gotta love her good and her bad. I gotta love all of her. And and I've gotta find joy in loving her for who she is. But see, to truly find joy in life, you've gotta love God for God's sake instead of using God to get the things you really want. And often we're pursuing God not for God, are we? We're pursuing God so that he may fix my life and fix my wife or fix my husband and fix my kids and fix my pain. And and we're coming to God for all these things. And listen, God wants us to come and, and pour out our needs. But he's saying in those moments of futility and frustration and despair, he's saying, listen, listen, the gift is found in me. It's the relationship. It's knowing my heart. It's knowing that I want joy for you. I'm crazy about joy for you. And so I'm gonna throw as much hevel at you as I possibly can so that you'll give up the illusion of control, you'll finally surrender, you'll finally submit, and you'll start loving the things you should be loving. And you'll start seeing that politics and money and relationship, these things are good, but see, they're they're tools to be used to glorify me, to know me, to become like me. Enjoyment is a gift from God because we are created by God to be dependent upon God. And so when we look at the frustrations of life, often we think those frustrations are obstacles to joy, right? No. The writer of Ecclesiastes is saying those frustrations are the opportunities to lose the illusion of control and to bring joy into our lives, to realize I can't control the outcome. I need to surrender. And what we really need to do in this moment as we kind of conclude is to repent. Repentance is just admitting that God's right. <laughs> God, you're right. 
I can't control things. I, I don't know what the future is. And, and there may be some real uncertainty in your life. I wanna be sensitive to that. There may be some hardship in your life. But the reality is you're not gonna control that outcome. You don't know what's coming. But you do know the one who's with you. And through those vexations and troubles, he wants to draw near to you. The question is, will you submit? Will you surrender? Will you say, Father, okay, life is not about me, it's about you. And you wanna use my work to bring about joy and my family and all of these things are good, but when I make them the goal in life, they become rotten. Help me to surrender to you. Help me to submit to you. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I just pray for each one of us where we are and, and whatever this message means to us and how you're using it. Father, so often we're trying to control or we're living in despair that I, I just can't do anything. I can't manage anything. And yet, Father, you want us in that place of surrender to recognize that to eat and drink means that we are dependent. We are but dust and yet you have graced us by putting eternity into our hearts. And that's why life can be so challenging. That we know we're created for more, and yet we can't bring it about because only you can. And so, Father, I pray for those who are gathered here today, whatever fears and challenges they're facing, Father, would you be the God that is over their fears, over their worries, over their anxieties? And Father, would we learn to trust you even in the hardships of life that, God, you are at work so that we don't have to be in control and we can simply enjoy today for today instead of trying to produce the outcome that we want. Father, help us to rest in you. And, and I pray for those that have never trusted you, that have never said, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone. I, I don't come towards you with anything in my hand, but recognize I'm a sinner in need of grace. Would you forgive me? Holy Spirit, come into my life. Breathe life into me so that I may know you and love you, Father, for truly who you are. Guide us into these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.